This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 27, Perseverance. 15 minutes long because you're going to have to wait a little longer than that to get your novel looked at. <laughs> and we are still not going to be that smart when it happens. <laughs> I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm messing with the tagline. <laughs> um, and we also, once again, have Sherilyn Kenyon here, um, guest starring with us. Uh, author of many, many successful <laughs> books in many, many awesome genres. So, Sherry, thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Um, just to make sure that I didn't lie, Sherry, have you ever had a novel accepted in less than 15 minutes? <laughs> ever? <laughs> yes, but only after I'd published many, 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 many books. Okay, I feel pretty good. <laughs> um, this was actually a podcast that uh, Sherry suggested. Um, I think it's something that we should very frequently be talking about on the podcast because it's a very important topic. You actually called it the cockroach theory of writing. Is that yes. what you said? Be the cockroach. It comes from Cher. She was doing the thing. Uh-huh. I'm going to be the cockroach singer. I'll be here long after everybody else is gone. Not even a nuclear bomb could stop me. So that's my mind. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bogart that because that will be me as a writer. After the bomb comes, I will still be typing away. Tell me some times in your writing career where that mindset has been important to you. <laughs> my entire career. <laughs> Even still? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, it's not an industry for the meek. Mm-hmm. My, luckily, my daddy was a drill sergeant, and his whole thing is the world will not take mercy on you. Your enemies will not take mercy on you. It would not be a service for me if I took mercy on you. And this was to get you to fold the laundry, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, basically, and that was my sympathetic parent. Uh-huh. So, right, right. I, you know, I've had to rebuild my career twice, so. Really, what happened? I, who knows? And uh-huh. this is the stuff that keeps you up wait, you know, late at night right. going, oh, my God. The genre went down. You know, I was writing Paranormal at the height of the early 90s when it was the most popular genre going. And for whatever reason, about 94, it stopped. Yeah, you and, mentioned this in our, our yeah. cast last week yeah. where uh, you're your publisher let their whole stable of authors go? Oh, not one. I was writing for three different publishers. And they all? They all folded up their oh, lines. Oh, so much said, for diversification. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, one by one, Every I had six best-selling books. Mm. I mean, I had hit the bestseller list. You know, I had 98% sell-throughs. One book we'd sold through in a month, mm. and they wouldn't go back to print on it. It was just, they had it in their mind. The genre was... Mm. And we were all left adrift. It took me almost four years before I could get another contract. Wow. Yeah, but and the, you know, the cheerful part of this story is you've done that, you said, many times now, right? Yeah, thank you, God. But, you know, it sounds a lot easier than it was. I mean, you know, we ended up homeless for, you know, on the street with an infant, and that is no place you ever want to be. Luckily, I had an agent at the time, but for that I would not have been able to submit. But for three years, she couldn't get anything. Wow. So, you know... I, I sound amazed, and in part I am, but at the same time, I've heard this story from pretty much every major author mm-hmm. I've talked to, that at some point in their career, the rug gets yanked out from underneath them, mm-hmm. and you've got to rebuild from scratch, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be honest, completely terrifies me. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. But um, that's partially, I mean, this is, this is not really maybe all that useful advice to you um, listeners, but if it ever does happen to you and you are writing, save like there's no tomorrow is what I've yeah. heard from all authors. Try Absolutely. and get, you know, 
try and save during the during the the fat years because mm-hmm. there will be lean years. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. All right, let's uh, let's talk advice to our to our listeners. Um, when you started, did you have a tough time breaking in, or were you one of the? No, I had a very hard time. Um, you, well, I got a couple of personal setbacks. Mm-hmm. I lost somebody who was very close to me. It took me a couple of years to. It, it's it's my older brother, and it was one of those things where I had to. I had sold a ton load of short stories, mm-hmm. and I decided I'm going to tackle the novel market. Even though I'd finished novels, they weren't really publishable. So I was going to do the one publishable manuscript. And I had spent, I was in college at the time, I took my entire Christmas break between two jobs that I was working mm-hmm. to type up a manuscript on a typewriter I'd borrowed from my brother's roommate. And when my brother came to get the typewriter, his last words to me were, you know, honey, I know it's going to be a winner. I can't wait to see it in print. And he died. Right after that. So it took me a long time, you know, and ironically, that's the first book of the League series. Okay. And it did end up being the first book that I sold, but it took me, you know, four years after that. It took me two years before I could even submit it anywhere. It just, you know, yanked that rug. Dan, during the years that you were trying to break in, were there ever moments that you just said, I, I just can't do this, or that you were close to giving up? Um, actually, the uh, close to giving up moment actually came more recently. Oh, yeah. Um, after I had already sold and did not hit the level of success that for some reason I thought that I my first book ever should have hit, mm-hmm. which was basically just unrealistic expectations on my part, um, I saw that come out and I thought, you know, yay, it's selling and yay, I'm supporting my family, but... Man, other people are selling so much more. What am I doing? Why, why, why am I even trying to compete in the same genre with these guys? And, uh, and, and I got pretty depressed, actually, and mm-hmm. just decided, you know what? Forget this. This is what I love to do. This is what I'll end up doing with my free time anyway, even if I give up and get a real job. So I'm just going to keep doing it mm. and got through it. Howard? You were working a full-time job at Novell and publishing your um, comic on the internet um, for free, having had no right drawing experience. Uh, was there ever a moment during doing two full-time jobs that you just said, what am I doing? I should give up on this? Um, it, this is going to sound weird, but uh, for the first five years I was doing it, I never had any doubt mm-hmm. that this was what I was doing was the science fiction comic strip to end all science fiction comic strips. I just, I had an ego the size of uh, Texas and Alaska and Utah. I mean, I, I just had no concept that it would be possible for me to fail. Uh, the first time I was really discouraged was when I looked at uh, the royalty agreement with Steve Jackson Games before I decided to self-publish, and I looked at those numbers and realized uh, you know, I'd already quit the day mm-hmm. job because I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I looked at those numbers and realized uh, if they sell according to their projections, I will be bankrupt before the book hits print. Um, and I told Steve Jackson that, and he said, you need to self-publish. You know, bless his heart, my publisher told me, you need to self-publish. And, and Sandra and I were very discouraged for a while there because that was terrifying. And we need to tackle an aspect of the business that we didn't want to. And then we knuckled down and we did it, and uh, and you know now I've got six books in print, all of which are you know doing a great job at feeding the family. Um, for me, I think I may have told this story before, so I'll be brief on it. But for me, the worst time was um, after writing my twelfth unpublished novel, <coughs> um, and being very dissatisfied with it. 
um, and getting in a heap of rejection letters off of books that I had thought were were quite good and a heap of rejection letters off of the ones that I had tried to write to the market that I didn't think were that good, but I thought, oh, they'll like these because this is what's selling, quote unquote. <laughs> um, and so I had been rejected in both piles. Um, and that was a very hard moment for me. That's when I, you know, I was working graveyard shift at the hotel. I had just graduated from college with a pretty useless English degree because I'd spent all my time writing instead of doing anything else. Um, I had no job prospects other than, you know, the graveyard shift, and I had 12 unpublished novels. 12 unpublished <laughs> novels and a would-you-like-fries-with-that degree. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that, that, was, that was the moment for me. Um, and for me, what turned it around was exactly what Dan said when I realized... Well, what else am I going to do? I mean, even if I go get, you know, say I go become an insurance salesman or whatever, I'm still going to spend all my free time writing books. So what does it matter if I publish or if I don't publish? If I'm writing the books that I love to write, this is what I'm going to keep doing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment turned it around, and it was, it was five months after that that I sold a novel. You know, you talk to published authors, and there are very few, if any, who don't absolutely love it. And I think that's very telling. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make it in this field unless you absolutely love it. Well, and I think we all have what you touched on, what I call the Scarlett O'Hara moment. Mm-hmm. You know, in the case of mine, I had written, I'd been trying to break in for years um, after the big lull, after the six books. Yeah. And my turnaround moment came, um, I got a lovely rejection from a publisher. After I had written the marketable book, two of my critique partners at the time were New York Times bestselling authors. They had signed off on it. My agent loved it. Then I get back the wonderful rejection. Anybody ever gets the worst one, dinner is on me. And it was no one at this publishing house will ever be interested in developing this author. Do not submit her work to us again. Wow. Okay, you win. Yeah. That is my trump card on any conversation. Now, after I scraped myself up off the floor, my moment came, and I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to fail by God, it'll be on my terms. I am not writing a marketable book again. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that worked for and again, it works for me with the readers, but really worked against me with publishing. Well, now you have a goal, which is to make millions of dollars for a publisher who competes with this jerk. Oh, no, actually, I write for that publisher. <laughs> <laughs> and that editor. Oh, oh, my God. I hope they never that? remember that. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no, I, I stay up at night going, oh, dear God, don't ever let her find that. <laughs> oh, boy, because I would have told her about that. I'd be like, hey, do you see this? <laughs> No, 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 I framed no, no, no. this one. <laughs> oh, I did do that. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I have another discouraging moment, but uh, let's plug uh, one of yeah. Carolyn's books. Um, Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sherry, will you tell us about The League, um, the series? The League, uh, they're science fiction uh, the assassins. As a little, <laughs> Ironically, the main character, Nikirian, was my imaginary friend when I was a kid. Says it all about my childhood, right? That my best <laughs> friend was an assassin. Was a, was this an alien assassin or is? Uh, well, he's part part alien, part human. Okay. Um, it's set in a, the Akkadian universe where it's martial law and the league is the the big bad guy. And Nakiri set up a counter agency, the Centella, who what they do is they um, protect the innocent victims that the league has targeted. 
Okay, that's excellent. Well, what's the first book in the series? Is it the first called? one's Born of Night. Which Born is, of Night. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how many books are there in the series? Uh, right now, there's three. The or there's three in a short story. The fourth mm -hmm. one comes out in April. Excellent. And you can go to audiblepodcast.com/excuse and start a 14-day free trial and download a copy. All right. Um, let's for the the few minutes left in the podcast. Let's try and give some advice. Uh, maybe some hurrah moments. Maybe some uh, just what what do you say to new writers who are maybe having some of these moments where can I really do this? This all looks daunting to me. Or you know I I'm finding rejection around every corner. Or I'm exhausted mentally and physically. What do you say to them? Never give up. Never surrender. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. It's, Grab Thor's hammer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know my favorite quote of all time. Another one I wish I'd thought of, but it's true. You know, reach down deep. We've all had that moment. Where we, I actually have put my computer back into the box mm. and taped it, and I'm done. But you know, <laughs> wow. tw one twenty-five cents saved my life. I mean, it turned everything around. That one submission, the stamp you stole from your husband, the one I stole from my husband, I, and that's what I tell people all the time. If you don't submit it, they can't buy it. So whatever you do, submit it, because it could have been that one time you should have stole that stamp. You want to tell us that story? <laughs> well, after we had been homeless and we were had scraped up and were living in the roach-infested dive of all time, I would tell everybody, we need a violin to play when I tell my story. Um, I had promised my husband, you know, I'd been chasing the dream at that point for 10 years. I'd had a little bit of success, but at that point, we didn't have the money. My husband made... I, love, I, I don't ever want anybody to think my husband's not supportive, but living with a writer sometimes is like living with a cutter. I mean, really, mm -hmm. you know, you're watching him go through these horrible lows. And he was like, enough. I, I can't stand what's, what it does to you. You know, I'm watching you crushed every time you get one of these rejections in. Enough. You know, you took food out of your baby's mouths. He'll deny he ever said that. It's like, no, you really did it. It's burned <laughs> forever in my memory. But And I promised him I was never going to submit again. And then it was one of those after about three, four months after I got that lovely rejection and I had written another manuscript that I lost my agent over. She's like, you know, I've been trying for three years with marketable manuscripts. You handed me something I can't touch and uh, I'm done. And so I was walking out to the mailbox and I got a writer's magazine in there and it had updated editors. And one of the editors in there was somebody I'd worked on very early in my career. I'm thinking, you know, you hear that voice, submit, submit, submit. And then I hear the the other little angel and the other children going, are you out of your mind? No, 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 your husband will kill you. I debated for about a week, and then finally I found the nerve to steal one stamp out of my husband's wallet <laughs> and to submit what had to be the worst query letter of all time. The editor and I joke about it to this day. It actually started out with, you probably don't remember me, and I was one of the first writers she ever worked with. So <laughs> I submitted it to her, and I ended up with a three-book contract. Excellent. That's awesome. Dan. You know, what I always tell people is no matter how awesome you think it's going to be to be a full-time writer, it's way more awesome than that. <laughs> you know, once you actually make it, once you achieve everything you've been wanting for, not because there's scads of money or you get to hang around with famous people all the time or whatever, but because doing what you love for a living is the best thing. I mean, it's it's so wonderful to be able to do it. And so... Any amount of work you can put into it will be paid off. Oh, at that time, that first writer or reader comes up to you and goes, I loved what you wrote. That is what you live for. That's oh, what you do it for. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other high grader. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harken back to last week's podcast. Uh, we, have, we, we create characters who 
uh, have a weakness, they have a, an incompetence, there, there is a power imbalance somewhere, and often what ends up resolving stories for these protagonists is that they're able to go back to something that, uh, that is a strength for them. Submitting and getting a rejection letter is something that is out of your control. That editor is out of your control. There is a power imbalance. They can always say no. The only thing you have control over is your ability to steal stamps, your ability <laughs> to write another manuscript, your ability to, to keep doing this. And so uh, if you're going to be the hero of your own story, then you have to go back to your strengths and act like a hero and, and submit another manuscript or write a better manuscript. Mm -hmm. or, but you just you have to keep doing it. It's what, it's what you've been writing about, mm -hmm. so live it. And I guess um, what I'll say to just end this off is, um, if you are feeling low, if you're feeling like nothing's happening, um, remember that I felt that in 2002 after writing 12 novels. That's where I was. One year later, I sold a book. Three years after that, um, I was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, so it can happen to you, too. Um, I'm willing to bet that you listening right now are a better writer than I was now than I was when I started. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that if you're listening now, you're a better artist than I am today. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go ahead and give a writing prompt. I'll make myself do it this time because I've made everybody else do it. Um, let's do, you are writing a story. There is a world where someone wrote a novel about an alien invasion. One year later, that exact alien invasion happens on Earth for undescribable reasons exactly as the novel predicted. Awesome. That's your writing prompt. This has been Writing Excuses. A very big thank you to Sherilyn Kenyon again for oh, sitting in with you. us. And um, you're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.